is 1.37 p.m. Stories of hustle and grind from the intersection of culture, style, music, and sports. Uh, three, two, one. What's going on, everybody? You got Jeff Sheesby here, a.k.a. the old man who bets, alongside my main man, Ant Lantino, a.k.a. the Oddsfell. This is short-term, high-volatility investments. Ant, great day for a great day. How we doing? We're back. It's a snow day. I'm ready to fire. Yeah, the snow is coming down. Only four to six inches, I think, today. Nothing compared to what we had here in New York City last week. Our hearts do go out to everybody in Texas in the Midwest whose pipes are bursting, whose driveways are frozen, who's fallen down the stairs. Stay safe. We're thinking about you uh, and perhaps invest in some better tires if this ever happens again. But go. We've got a great itinerary for you today, talking about a little bit of this and a little bit of that. We're looking at a uh, quick update, the weekend review. We're talking MLB. That's right around the corner. AD got hurt, tendonitis. I think it's a pretty big deal. And then we're going to go into some NBA futures, some NBA Friday, Saturday, Sunday thoughts. And last but certainly not least, uh, a couple quick hitters on NCAA futures because we are uh, more than excited, I would say, for March Madness. So, uh, Ant, talk to me. What's going on in the MLB? Let's start with the uh, the pitchers and catchers. They are out. Camp is starting, right? It's it's right around the corner. I think the season's going to be here before you blink. And what did you get over the, the last week, the last couple of days? A little bit of a financial splash with Mr. Fernando Tatis Jr., the young 22-year-old. I had to remind myself that he's only 22, signing a 14-year, $340 million contract. I think that man can probably do some gambling, but that's frowned upon within the Within the diamonds, I believe. Yeah, for sure. He should be betting lacrosse, D1 lacrosse all day, yeah. every day. And, you know, whatever, 14 years, $340 million, you know, same. Uh, that's exactly what we're getting paid to do this podcast. Uh, and that's why those tweets and those picks remain free. But that's an insane contract, man. I mean, that reminds me of A-Rod back in the day. And, and that worked out pretty well. Uh, you know, this Padres team is going to be borderline unbeatable. It looks like it's the Padres or the Dodgers versus the field. Do you think our Yankees have a shot? I mean, I hope they do. They did hire a, uh, a different strength and conditioning coach, I believe, that can focus a little bit more on the soft tissues and, and probably hopefully put together some of those calf strains. They've had the hamstring pulls, right? All those issues, you know, let's put them behind us because that's what's held the Yanks back. That and I think not making a splash in the pitching rotation, which to your point about the Padres, they did, right? They went out and got you Darvish, Joe Musgrove, and Blake Snell. So that's adding arms and weapons to an already, you know, potent offense in Slam Diego. Uh, as they as they like to be called last year. Yeah, it doesn't get much better than that. Um, you know, I think I, I saw a great, maybe it was a meme, but uh, 14 years from now, I believe that will be when uh, our friend on the Mets, Bobby Bonilla, finally stops getting paid. So uh, this was real. I, I, I'd like to think it is. I hope it is. But. <laughs> yeah, I did not fact check that meme, and that's right. always dangerous with the internet these days. But I took it as truth, and honestly, what's more Mets than that? But the Mets look pretty fierce this year as well. I mean, they've got a great starting lineup. They're looking healthy. We think they've got a chance or people are saying they're the team in New York, which I'm not buying into, but maybe I don't buy it. Maybe that's me being a, a bias Yankee fan, but I think it's true, right? I think they, they, they're going to show improvement. I think just even the culture change, um, you know, GM issue aside uh, that we know happened earlier in the year, but really focusing mainly on, you know, the, it, it's a new ownership structure, right? They do want to spend money. I'm surprised they haven't made a, a bigger splash in free agency yet. Uh, but they obviously went out and made that trade. Um, so I, I do think the Mets are going to contend, and they should contend in a tough NL East. To yeah, 100%, league. man. I think the Braves are a little undervalued in that division, honestly. But, you know, when I think about the Mets, I'm obviously a huge Yankees fan, as are you. 
Contrary to popular belief, New York is a better city when both of these teams are good. So everybody's like, oh, you know, suck it, Yankees fans. I'm like, no, man, the bars are just that much more pop. And hopefully the Roaring Twenties will coincide with two New York teams uh, that are kicking so much ass that, you know, there's not going to be enough beers in Manhattan uh, for us to consume. I love that. And look, if you're interested in the financial side of it to see what this contract means relative to some others, like, you know, obviously we are working with 1.37 p.m., but they dropped even before this came out. Uh, a link in an article I texted you about, uh, Mr. Old Man, and that was the top. I think it was the top twenty-one uh, contracts in baseball for this year. So this was pre-Tatis. He now obviously pops onto that list. There was a lot of good other value about where some of these guys are getting, paid, you know, paid. You know, Bauer, the, the the most recent one, some of the other long-term extensions that have already been signed, and then they also looked at some of the historical ones. A Rod was on that list, like you mentioned, and a few others. So an interesting read. If you're thinking about, you know, well, where does this contract rank to some others? And I think one funny tidbit I wanted to mention, you, you got to remember that the Padres have two of these guys on the roster already because they're already paying Manny. This is the second richest deal or the the richest deal in franchise history because it just surpassed the Manny deal, which I think was $300 million, you know, ballpark. Yeah, I mean, that's insane. The guy's played 143 games. Yeah, he's been absolutely electric. I mean... Talk about a human highlight reel. I love when he drops the bat and stares down that pitcher as that thing skies out of the park. But do you think 143 games is a large enough sample size? I mean, I think probably yes, but we'd love your thoughts there. I mean, I think w when you package together, you know, his minor league experience, the type of prospect he was, some of the pedigree, and 143 games doing it over two years, you know, I think it does show good trajectory. Um, it also shows there's money in baseball. But I, I think it's the right move to invest in your guys, lock them up and you protect anything from happening to you, especially in a smaller market, right? Which I guess Slam Diego still is, you know? Yeah, which is crazy. They got the nicest aquarium in all of the US and weather that's 65 degrees every day. It's hard to consider them a small small market team with all of those parks. But last question for you, and this was not in the notes, so I'm coming out of nowhere with this. Salary cap versus a salary floor. I, I was reading through Twitter today and a lot of people were saying, oh, this is why the MLB stinks. There's no salary cap. And a lot of the, contra, uh, the contrarian views were there was, no, the issue is that the teams that refuse to spend are what's holding down baseball from being you know as electric as possible. So any thoughts on, on a salary floor? No, uh, I would agree with that. I mean, across, I, the, across the board? I, I know in the NBA, and it's probably not a straight comparison, and I'm not as well read on it, but the, the NBA does have penalties if you're not spending up to a certain amount of the cap. Um, now, some teams choose to do that anyway, but they, they pay those penalties. Um, I'm not aware of anything like that in the MLB, and you have such a dichotomy between what these markets – you know, are doing what these teams and owners are willing to do because a lot of them are willing to sit around, spend little money, and they're able to still line their pockets. So I do like the the salary floor concept. I think that helps. And the other thing that's out there that these teams still benefit from, even the ones that don't want to spend, is revenue sharing, right? And mm -hmm. that exists across, and it's a little bit different in each of the sports, but there's a ton of money flowing through these things from, you know, merchandising, TV deals, and all that stuff that flows and has to be evenly split amongst these teams when in reality some of those other owners aren't raising their hand and doing their part, right? We mentioned right. Steve Cohen before. He is not going to be that guy in New York with the Mets, and I think that's a big change of pace from them for the, from the Wilpon. So I, I love that idea. If that's something that's getting some legs and at least getting some some momentum behind people talking about it, I think it's positive. Yeah, and the Twitter comments, that real-time insight right there, it is getting momentum. Whether it's laddered up to the organization, I don't know. But we've spent too much time talking baseball. we got baseball coming up in a couple of weeks. We'll go with a full preview there. Let's talk NBA. Hottest news, of course, outside of Jimmy Butler having back-to-back triple-doubles, I think for the first time in Heat's, in, uh, Heat's history, say that 10 times fast, which is interesting considering the, the, the talent they've had on that squad. But Anthony Davis, Achilles tendonitis, where does that put them in terms of being a favorite? 
Well, they're still the favorite, so that's interesting enough, right? They're still sitting around plus 250. I don't know if that's dropped, flowed back and forth or moved. Maybe you've been watching the futures market a little bit uh, you know, more actively than I, but I, I do think they probably still should be the favorite because right now there's still a lot of uncertainty. My concern, and I definitely wanted to get your thoughts on this, is this reminds me way too much of KD 2019 Warriors. Guy strains his calf in the, I believe it was the Western semis. He ends up missing the Western Conference Finals altogether, misses the first four games of the NBA Finals against the Raptors, and then decides, you know what, I'm good to go. Let's give this team the boost they need. Comes in and plays 12 minutes in game five before he ruptures that Achilles. So AD did have the MRI, right? They said no Achilles damage, but they're talking similar language, similar words here getting used around the calf and the strain and the time off. So I think right now it's two to three weeks, but is that a bigger concern? Yeah, I mean, I think it has to be, right? The Achilles is for sure nothing to, to mess around with. Two to three weeks, potentially waiting till after the All-Star game. And, right. you know, I think for sure you make a great point. Are they the favorite if AD is playing? 100% that plus Definitely. 250 makes sense. But I just think there's there's too many ways for this to go south for them, whether it's an AD not getting hurt or the Nets figuring it out, right? Their big three is obviously savage. They're plus 400 right now. I would rather let them flounder for a month and then pick up the Lakers, maybe a plus 350, maybe plus 400. You know, I think there will be better value there. So nothing to say against, uh, you know, the Lakers themselves, but this definitely seems like a wait and see, a no, wait and I, see play. I agree. I mean, one thing, just piggybacking on the Lakers, and I know we want to talk a little more futures NBA because I think there's still maybe some value or some different angles to take. But speaking about the Lakers and the AD injury, if it's going to be two, three weeks and roughly that timetable, or even when he comes back, he's in and out. There's some load management, as the NBA likes to call it, and he's not playing and suiting in back-to-back games or every game. You got to probably look at LeBron on the MVP side. Again, not great value, but it's it's dropping, it's plummeting, right? It started the season higher. I think last week when I looked pre-AD injury, it was sitting around 2-1 to one at plus 200. Now that's number sitting at plus 170. The man is dominating out there, so I think he has to be in the top three or four consideration for that MVP look. If he's going to get more minutes and play, I, think he, I don't know if he's missed a game yet this year, to be completely honest with you. If he's out there um, and more of that is flowing through him. He's putting them on their back. They still end up as a one, two or three seed in the Western conference. I don't see a narrative where you can't, you know, turn around and say, LeBron, you are the MVP, right? So is that, is that free money sitting, you know, at pl- plus North of plus plus one fifty and still hovering around two to one. Is that the right way to look at it? I mean, it feels good to me. I think the only other guy you got to throw into the conversation here, of course, my main man, Julius Randall, is having the best career Love of his it. absolute career. <laughs> man, joke, a but, machine. Uh, <laughs> he is, I think he's undervalued, underpriced yeah. attention, as Gary Vee would say. Uh, but nonetheless, I think that makes sense. So let's yeah. talk futures outside of the Lakers. Totally. Anything you like? Well, I was shocked, and, and I wanted to get your thoughts on this. The Utah Jazz are sitting at plus 1,200. Clearly, with the NBA's best record, they keep rolling around. Is that just no no respect? Look, I wouldn't. I'm not sitting here telling you I would take it, but I was surprised with the value. Right? They they're that's maybe sixth, seventh in line. You know, in terms of the futures market. Yeah, I think that's super interesting. I was looking at uh, 538 ELO ratings. ELO, obviously, a, a system that takes overall player stats versus the field uh, and awards you with wins and losses, and it values those wins and losses depending on the opponent, right? And last year, the Lakers, of course, won. Their final ELO rating was 1693. So only wanted to look at teams that had a higher ELO rating uh, than that right now uh, with their full strength projection. So from 537, uh, 538, excuse me, I'm thinking 137 here. Uh, that puts the Clippers, Lakers, Jazz, and Bucks with the Nets right there uh, on that. So I think the Clippers are super interesting right now in terms of uh, the Raptor player ratings, which is obviously 538's proprietary like data modeling. This, this is, is giving that's come out right because I've started hearing a lot about it the last few weeks. 
Yeah, and I always trust 538 is just totally. a great data resource. So I don't know exactly the formula that gets them there, but the projections right now show the Clippers at a 23% chance of winning this final, the Lakers at 17 and the Jazz at 17. And this is taking into account full squad. So right there, the Clippers at 550, I don't hate. They did beat the Lakers opening night of the season, 116 to 109. Is that a game that we're going to use to factor in late season? Absolutely not. But this is a Clippers team that's gritty and I think it's feeling like the forgotten brother over there in LA. So I think yeah. that's interesting. And of course, as you said, the, the the Jazz, the hottest team in the league, their ELO rating is right where it needs to be in terms of like historical winners. Them at plus 1,200 feels pretty solid. You know, I think when we look at the East, uh, you know, the Eastern Conference, I don't love the Nets at plus 400. I prefer maybe the Bucks or even the Sixers at plus 700 or plus 1,400. But it really does feel for me like it's West versus the world here. I, I don't think the East is going to take it down this year. Of course, nobody thought the East was going to take it down when the Raptors shocked the world. But uh, I'm looking for for maybe the Clippers or maybe the Jazz. To your points, yeah, no, I love the Clippers point. I was on them last year, actually. You know, early on, I liked it. Going into the postseason, I picked them in some spots. You know, to different podcasts and and content we were doing, and you know, I thought that team would mesh and be able to turn it on and off because you had kind of the silent assassin and Kawhi Leonard. PG was quietly putting together a decent year, and they struggled in the bubble. I don't know if it was a team chemistry or mesh thing. You'd hope another year under the belt, um, you know, help that team move forward. A coaching change. Uh, but they did add some other pieces that I think that have been helpful this year. It's really just for them getting on the court and continuing to mesh because there's these guys are still in and out. Like we'll talk about the clips later because I kind of like one of their spots. And you know, I think the last two or three games PG has missed, Kawhi missed last night. So it's just kind of constantly these lineup shuffles uh, that you have to navigate. But on the east side of things, I do agree with you with the Nets. You know, I think a lot of that value is probably just not there at plus four hundred. You know, they still have an upward battle against the Lakers and some of those Western Conference teams, especially as you look at matchups right now. The only caveat I would say to that is if you are confident in their ownership or you know their general manager to go get a buyout guy, that value may get streamed down, right? Mm -hmm. So plus 400 might be the best you get if they go out and get an Andre Drummond who the Cavs are no longer playing. Um, so spots to look at there, right? If you start hearing something in the marketplace about the Nets targets, buyout guys, they're going to have to go get something. They need a big, they need somebody, we talked about it last episode, that can defend the paint get boards, get stops, help defensively. Um, you know, that guy has to come. Yeah, they can score 125, 130 points, but in a seven game series, you can't get stops. I don't know where that puts you. Yeah, man, that's a great point. I mean, Brooklyn currently ranking 30th in the league in terms of allowing opponent points in the paint. So uh, I love DeAndre Jordan, but <laughs> so does everybody else, apparently, that's scoring on them. Exactly. Um, so some, some good stuff there. Um, let's move this right along here. And, you know, we've got a great matchups. You know, obviously, we're recording this on Thursday, so this won't be released in time to talk about Brooklyn and the Lakers tonight. But the Lakers have a pretty good game this weekend, uh, you know, uh, rematch the finals versus the Heat. I know there's a couple other spots you've been looking at. Uh, what are we working with? Yeah, so let's start with a couple Friday night, and then we'll transition into that Saturday game because I know you got some some good thoughts on it and how that might help in the player prop market. But two Friday night that I'm looking at, which by the time you guys are hopefully listening to this, you do have lines for these. Um, and it's actually two kind of back-to-back -back games, right? The way the NBA much like hockey right now is done scheduling is you have a ton of time where these teams are playing twice, either, you know, back to back nights or a night off, but they stay in the same city and they roll it through again, just to kind of get through COVID through the schedule as best as possible. So the first one is the, uh, in the lineup is I think seven or seven thirty Eastern. You have Celtics Hawks. Um, the Celtics closed as one and a half point favorites in this game without Kemba Walker. They also didn't have Marcus smart or Daniel Tice. It seems like, Tice could come back, Kemba should come back, and Marcus Smart still likely out. I think he's got a more long-term injury. So as the favorite, they came back and they lost 122 to 114. The total 
uh, closed at 223. It went over to 236. So just two interesting data points to, to kind of look at, see where this line opens up and what happens. I personally think with Kemba back in the lineup, uh, that line will probably open higher than the Celtics minus one and a half last time. And I think that speaks very highly to the Celtics coming back, bouncing back. They've been an inconsistent bunch. I still trust their coach. I still trust Jason Tatum and uh, Jalen Brown. Um, to just be the better overall squad. I don't know if it was a Kemba boost, if it was coming off some of the other games. You know, they just got outgunned. Trey Young had a great game. Um, and I think defensively they'll they'll get some sauce. So look for the Celtics uh in that spot on Friday night personally. And another similar one, a team that didn't close as the favorite, um, is the Clippers Jazz. We talked earlier, the Jazz are running red hot. I don't have I should have pulled it, the against the spread numbers and the overall numbers for the Jazz. I don't know if you know it, but they they are I running. I want to say smooth. it's like eighteen for twenty or something yeah, crazy like that. Eighteen like a, one and one, maybe. Which at some point, like I just sit here and keep saying, and, and maybe it's a good time to talk about like regression. It has to come at some point, right? We saw it with Drake college basketball early in the year, just a, against the spread juggernaut and overall juggernaut. But I personally think, you know, that Jazz game, they were down uh, the other night, I guess last night at five at halftime. Uh, so the Clippers were playing well, no Kawhi, no PG. At halftime, down five, Jazz won by 18. So they outscored, you know, the the Clips by 23 in that second half, which they've done in other spots. So they, these these teams can turn it on. Um, but I do think if that line comes down a little bit and shows some strength to the Clippers and the Clippers getting back at full strength, again, some of this is regression. Some of this is the fact that I think the Clippers are in a good buy low spot and the Jazz are at a very high sell spot. Um, you know, I think it's time to to jump on the Clip, Clippers and see if they can get it done. I might even look at the money line in that game to be completely honest with you. Yeah, and there has been some value on just betting the under underdogs money line all season. Uh, our guys over, I believe, Odd Shark uh, were talking. I think it was Joe and and uh, and G uh, were talking that if you bet blindly the underdogs all season, you'd be up about I think it was like four hundred, five hundred dollars right now. But yeah, I did just look at the, uh, the the ATS trends here. Looks like they've covered in twenty of their last twenty one. Yeah, I mean that's Utah an Jazz. absurd number. Yeah, that feels pretty good on uh, on the wallet. I wish I had been right. on that train right. instead. I've just been playing playoff. Yeah, and the key thing when you talk sports gambling really is like when you get on the train, when you get off, right? Trends are they're they're never going to run at that type of percentage and clip. So is now the time you know to to sell a little bit? I do think the Jazz are a good team, and they're they mesh well together because they've played together for so long. So you know, just some thoughts on there. Yeah, I think the spot where it ends is going to be against Charlotte on the 22nd. You know, Clippers, they're going to get up for again, then big-time letdown spot before right. they go against the Lakers and then against Miami. Yeah, so, you got a kind of a look ahead, you know, plus the coming off the highs of a couple of tough games against the Clippers. So I like that. Yeah, exactly. All right, well, let's dive into that, that Saturday matchup we talked about. I know you had some player props. So that is actually a Lakers-Heat finals rematch. I think it's the first time they've played. You know, both teams obviously not at full strength, but still a little bit of a grudge for the Heat. What are you targeting, you know, stats-wise that, that kind of stands out to you? Yeah, for sure. Looking at specifically fades in this game, we've got uh, specifically fading the Lakers in the paint. Miami is number one in limiting opponents' points in the paint. Uh, so going deeper on that, looking at uh, defense versus position, we see that the, the, the Lakers here are fierce against uh, – sorry, Miami here is fierce against centers and point guards specifically – uh, and to a little bit of a lesser extent, but still very above average uh, small forwards. So I'm not ready to fade LeBron, uh, that's for sure. So I'll have no action there, especially as this team kind of figures out, uh, you know, who they are without Anthony Davis. But I am looking to fade my main man, Harrell, and my main man, Schroeder, guys that I've been riding the overs on. 
pretty much all week. I've got them tonight on the overs. I hit them on the both on the last game. They both went over as well. Uh, but I think Schroeder is going to be my favorite uh, fade of the game. Miami is number three in the league in terms of po- opponents. Uh, point guard field goal percentage at 39%. Uh, and they are also top 50 in limiting points uh, for, for the point guard. So I think that's going to be a, a good fade there. On the other side of the ball, obviously we don't have any numbers for these yet, but um, you know we'll look for those directionally. Uh, I want to fade the three-point shooters for for, for Miami here. Um, one, they've been relatively cold, honestly. This Miami team has been kind of looking for an identity in the last couple of weeks. But the Lakers are number three in terms of uh, limiting opponents uh, from the three-point line, three-point percentage, uh, which is great. And they're really fantastic against uh, power forwards specifically who shoot threes. Unfortunately, that leaves us with Kelly Olenek. We probably will not have a line on him, but if we do, I would say fade, fade, fade. But they're also fierce against small forwards here, which is, I think, pretty interesting. They're number three in terms of limiting points. Uh, That puts us at a fade of of Jimmy Butler, and I think that's okay. Again, back-to-back triple doubles for him. He was cold. He's broke out of that slump. I think the public will inflate that number because now Jimmy's back. He's hot. But this is going to be a great game. It's going to be locked down D. It's going to have a playoff vibe to it. So I don't mind fading him there. And you would imagine the way he stuffs the stat sheet too, that could work in your favor. If he's doing other things, he stays on the triple double trend, getting others involved. You know, it still is taking away from some of those field goal attempts and ultimately points for him, which, which helps in your, in your pick case. hundred percent, man. And in the last play here. So we've got uh fade Schroeder, fade Harrell, fade Kelly Olnick, if you can. Uh, but this was an interesting one because the, the Lakers are of course, number three in terms of opponent, three point shooting percentage, which and on paper, it would be like, okay, just fade their three-point shooters. That could be Harrow. That could be Duncan Robinson, the guy I had focused on here. But when we look at the shooting guard position where Duncan Robinson is, um, they're not fantastic at limiting shooting guards specifically from the three-pointers. Of all positions, the shooting guard is shooting the best from deep uh, against this Lakers team. So it's a little bit of a merge for me, obviously, the macro trend of them being great at defending three but not potentially against the shooting guard. But if that number – it's, uh, you know, I'd say probably over 12 and a half, maybe 13 and a half. If it's over a point than his average uh, of his last 10 games, I think that's a strong line from Vegas. It could be an indication for us to actually be taking uh, Duncan Robinson over, uh, even with the Lakers, you know, pretty fierce three-point defense. So a lot more to come there. You know, obviously follow both of us on Twitter uh, for, for those plays. We'll, we'll get them out as soon as possible once we deal with uh, the snowstorm. And, and I know you're dealing with some uh, family things with picking up the kids at daycare and all that fun stuff. Everyone's but, hey, we're just a couple house. guys, you know. <laughs> Amen. Well, let's do some rapid-fire uh, college hoops i know you have some some strong i think you've been out doing the circuits doing the rounds with our man uh greg doing some mm-hmm. hooping, hooping for hoops um what's jumping out to you in the futures market from an ncaa basketball tournament perspective march madness right around the corner yeah can't wait man can't wait uh, a time we've historically gotten hot so fingers crossed yeah. we can do that again obviously this has been a weird college season so i've taken a little bit of a step back and focused more on the nba but you know i think when we look at the futures here there's really three teams and then the field we're looking at gonzaga baylor uh, and Michigan. And Michigan seems like the odd man out there, of course. Gonzaga plus 310, Baylor plus 290. Of those two, if you're going to take a front runner, I think the move is to take Gonzaga now. They're number two in terms of overall offense, number five in terms of overall defense. Those three squads are the only three squads in all of uh, college basketball, all 356 teams uh, that are top 10 in both of those stats. So that is something I think we really need to key in on. But when we look at overall just value of that number, 
Gonzaga here is closing out versus St. Mary's and then San Diego. Both of those games should be relatively easy wins. They've had five straight road games. They've had five straight double-digit victories, including a massive victory over BYU, who's a pretty decent squad. So it just doesn't seem like there's anything to trip them up to make that number inflate. Of course, if they dropped either of those teams, a great time to pounce on whatever that new future number is. But I don't think that happens. Meanwhile, we look at Baylor, number three in offense, number five in defense, still incredible. Uh, but Baylor, pretty long layoff. They haven't played since February 2nd. Um, and of course they are playing, I think Oklahoma state this weekend, Some, another tough team, right? The future, probably yeah. number one pick in, in the NBA draft. In, exactly. They have played once before, obviously yeah. they won relatively easily, but they did have, I think it was a 19 to two run in the second half to open that game open right. without Cade Cunningham playing in it. So I just don't think the time to play Baylor is now with that Oklahoma state matchup, they're pretty challenging. And then they close out the season with number 13, West Virginia, and then number 23, Kansas on the road. So yeah. I know they've already handled not, Kansas it's, once. It's, it's tough sledding for sure. Yeah. If they drop either of those games, I think that plus 290 is shifting up to plus 400 or more. And then all of a sudden there's some value there. So now I don't think those though, those are play. remain undefeated as well. Right. Currently. Yeah. Yeah. 17. Yeah. Now, do you Baylor think, I think Gonzaga's 20, you know? Do you think an L, besides helping in the futures market, do you think it sets them up better to get a loss? You might not get it on the Gonzaga side of things, but do you, wa you want to walk into that tournament undefeated or do you want that loss behind you? Um, I don't know. I think you can go either way. You know, yeah. a loss is always humbling, kind of gets you back to the back to the grind. Um, you know, neither of these teams are teams that I think have been playing like egotistical basketball. I think Gonzaga, I've seen more Gonzaga than Baylor than I have this year, but they are big. They can shoot from ever and they play unselfish ball, yeah. which is so fun, fun to watch. To watch. Yeah. Yeah. So awesome. I think you take Gonzaga now if you want him. I think you wait on Baylor. And then that brings us to Michigan. Michigan is seven and seven in terms of offense and defense. They obviously haven't played very well. Uh, but at plus 650, I think there's some value there. I think they're a, a decent play. They look great in the second half against Wisconsin, uh, outscored them 40 to 20 and, and really limited their team. I do think there is essentially a choose your own adventure here, right? If you think they're going to beat Ohio State this weekend on the 21st, um, then I think you take them. Now, I think that'll only increase their odds. If you think they're going to lose to Ohio State, Ohio State, of course, has an elite offense here. They are lacking on defense. But I think if you think that that, that game's to be close or maybe a loss, uh, I think you wait and you can get a better number on Michigan. So uh, I do think they're a fun, not favorite to play, even though they are top three. Uh, this Michigan team seems to, to have what it takes uh, to get hot at the right time. And that's the first matchup, I believe, for Michigan and Ohio State, right? I was just trying to check to see if they played each other this year yet. Doesn't, doesn't yeah, it should be. Way. I think they might have had one postponed. You know, Michigan yeah. hasn't played for a while. I want to say at least 15 days until that Wisconsin game. And their only loss so far was at Minnesota on the road. But Minnesota's been fierce at home. Uh, you look at who they beat, it's it's a pretty impressive slate, including uh, including Iowa. So yeah. it's a I love that. Play. And look, I mean, I think Tier 2, we talked about it a little bit. There's some, there's some good squads in there, especially – you know, some others in the Big Ten and the Big 12. Uh, I think to me, Illinois jumped out as interesting. They're playing well right now and kind of sit in that Big Ten mix. Um, one I always love to see is Loyola Chicago. Shout out Sister Jean. You know, hopefully they can get back there and do some damage in the dance. But I think when you're talking about making a full run, right, you probably have to talk about those three. And that's, that's kind of the nature of the beast right now. Yeah, I, I'm glad you called out Illinois. I have them on here as well. They're 18th in terms of offense, 15th in terms of defense. And they've got our guy, Io DeSumo who has clutch factors through the absolute roof here. You know, he had uh, went off versus Nebraska, you know, hit forced overtime with a couple of big shots in the extra session. I mean, there might not be a better late game player than him right now. And, and having that, that difference maker is obviously huge. I think one other team worth talking about um, outside of Ohio, I mean, Ohio state and Iowa, you know, we only have so much time on this podcast. I think both are great, but I think both on defense are lacking one fun fact on Ohio state 
games they've lost this year, 134 total points. Games they've won, average of 148 points. So there's a loose correlation to the total of the game and how it's going to go. Anything under 136 has been within a seven-point game. Uh, three losses and, and a couple close wins that shouldn't have been close. Cleveland State's one, UCLA is the other. Uh, so that could be a proxy of how they're going to perform moving forward. In Iowa, same kind of thing. Their offense, number one in the league, defense, number 108. That is a huge discrepancy. If you remember back you know, when we were talking about the NFL, the discrepancy of like the fourth-ranked defense to, to, what, 16 for the Chiefs was enough for us. 10, 10 spots was enough. Concern, yeah. 108. And, and this defense has been a massive liability, man. They allowed 102 points to Minnesota, lost. They allowed 99 to Gonzaga, lost. They allowed 81 to Indiana, 80 to Illinois, and 89 to Ohio State. Like, this is a great offensive team, but unless you can lock it down at any point, they're going to be in trouble. So um, would you call them the Nets of the college basketball season? Yeah, perhaps, perhaps. <laughs> I mean, we haven't seen, I think, like a playoff Nets uh, vibe yet. Like, yeah, can they lock yeah. it down? Maybe. Um, you know, even Carmelo was playing defense last playoffs. So once the playoffs start, you know, maybe Harden will turn it around as well. Um, but nonetheless, the, the five games of 80 more points uh, is a huge concern for me. One positive there is, is Weiss, Joe Weiskamp. Uh, he's been balling the last couple of games. Uh, if you look at their leading score for the first 15, 17 games, excuse me, uh, Garza was 15 to 17 of those last three games or last four games, excuse me, have been not Garza, which is huge. They're going to need other players to step up if they're going to make this run. Uh, and Wise Camp, I think, is going to be obviously an X factor. He's had 47 points, 17 boards in his last two games. Uh, and the rest of the team has shot 50% from three, 24 for 48 from downtown in those games. So all of a sudden, if they're coming together at the right time, you know, you take that high powered offense, and now it's actually a more well rounded thing. You can't just sell out, stop Garza, and beat this team. Uh, then I think the lack of defense perhaps, uh, you know, gets a little bit more interesting. Exactly. No, I think that's great analysis. And, you know, I'm glad, uh, I'm glad we're jamming on it. We'll obviously do a little bit more going deeper as the tournament gets closer, not necessarily for some of the futures as those things might dry up, but just looking at the tournament itself, how to target some of the games, stuff like that. So we're, we are excited. hundred percent. It's March Madness, baby. I already put my vacation days in. So Sorry, boss. Just let but, me know uh, where, where we're linking up. I'm, 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 yeah, I've got a couch and some beers to drink for that one. Uh, you know, boss. in the lab. Good stuff. All right, All any right. final thoughts here? What are we working with? What's going on this weekend? Bring us home. I'm just, uh, you know, follow us on Twitter. Follow those picks. Look the timeline at the odds fellow for this guy. I will be, you know, probably shoveling snow. Looking forward to it. Amen, man. I love that. And that one last plug here. I did finally. We'll get shout out to the card talk at 1.37 p.m. I've been listening to them and I got my first card ever here. This is a Kevin Porter Jr. rookie. Um, you know, I think Julius Randall after all that hype. No, I mean he's a little out of my price range right now, right? I'm not going, I'm not going head first in here. I'm teetering. And I think him on the Rockets, if he can become an all-star in the next three years, you know, he was averaging 10 with the Cavs last year. Kevin Love just came out and said he was the most talented player on this roster. I think he's underpriced because of his off-court issues, but uh, those seem to be a little overblown to me. I think the guy's going to write the ship, and hopefully he'll be starting in Houston uh, in the next week, couple of weeks. So I guess that's a wrap, huh? Short-term high-volatility investments. I'm Jeff Sheesby, a.k.a. The Old Man Who Bats. That's Ant Latino, a.k.a. The Odds Fella. We'll have plays. We're going to be going live on Instagram, hopefully maybe YouTube next week, so tune in there as we record this. Uh, you can follow along. You can ask questions, whatever it might be. Other than that, have a great weekend. Hot bets, cold beers. We'll talk to you guys soon. Cheers. This is 1.37 p.m. Own your future. Start this minute. 1.37 p.m. is a Gallery Media Group original production.